So a simple explanation of faith is believing that when you do something here, it will result in something here. And the distance between here and here determines the amount of faith that you need. So if I walk up to Bill Perlicek and smack him, uh, I have faith that I will get a reaction. The distance between my action and the reaction is going to be short. So my confidence in that happening, again, will be fairly strong because uh, what I did and the result I got was close together. Now, as that distance moves apart, the faith requires is greater. It's sort of like a farmer planting a corn seed and getting a crop 90 to 120 days later. He has some faith that what he's doing is going to result in something that's going to produce some money. Now, he has faith in doing it because he's done it before, and he sees the results of that. In the Christian life, there are a lot of things in the Bible that says that we uh, would be well to do because the results are going to change our life. But the problem, the difference, uh, the distance between doing it and getting, receiving the blessing, the results of doing it is such that most people don't do this first action because they don't have the faith that it's going to result in anything uh, that matters because they uh, have not been able to connect the dots in regards to in the past doing something and seeing anything come of it. So we're pretty uh, dialed into rewards in the sense that we don't do things that don't bring a reward. We don't do things just simply to do them. We do them for a reason, and that is because it results in something that benefits us, whatever that might be. And so in the Christian life, when I would say to you, read your Bible every day, every day, every day. If you do, the Bible promises 50-plus blessings that will come into your life. Now, you have to believe that to be true before you start reading because the, the blessings that come from reading your Bible don't happen the next day. If they did, to the extent that the blessings are promised, it would be easy to be motivated to read the Bible because those blessings would be so cool and so great and so soon after doing it. But the fact is that there's a distance between reading your Bible every day and the blessings that come into your life from doing it and uh, let's say it's a year from planting the seed to reaping the crop, you're probably not going to connect the dots. When the blessings come into your life, you're going to attribute it to the government or uh, your mother or something or good luck. But you're not going to make the connection between what you did a year ago and what's happening uh, to you today in the way of blessing. So if I wanted to motivate you personally to pray, for example, if I said, you know, this uh, next week, Monday through Friday, is our five days of prayer, and the more people who come and pray and the more people who are devoted to what goes on there, the more blessings we collectively will receive as a church, the more difference it will make <clears throat> in our community, in the lives of other people <clears throat> that don't know Christ, don't have a relationship with Him. So, you may not really have a lot of confidence that that's true. So if I said, if you come next week and pray, 
I will pay you $100 for every hour you pray. And so I could actually pull that one off. And we'll say, I've got the bucks. I wanted you to pray to the point I was willing to pay you. So that uh, reward would be immediate. It would be right there at the door. As you prayed for an hour, you pick it up on your way out. And it being not that far away from Christmas, you could use a little extra cash. Some of you might pray more than you've ever prayed before in a five-day prayer event simply because of the $100 reward you got after every hour of being there to pray because you'd pick up this extra money to buy your wife a Christmas present or your kids or whoever. So the action and the reward, uh, the more that's reinforced in, in reality, the stronger our faith grows. But faith is such that the distance is requires faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So I want to share with you tonight some rewards and hopefully do it in a way that you say, I believe that. I believe that. I really do. So let's start by reading Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. We're going through the book of Philippians, the Wednesday night service, so this is where we are. I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now that's a command. That's not a good suggestion. Uh, it's an imperative statement. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't stew about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but instead... Pray about what it is that's giving you anxiety uh, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And there, here's, here's the blessing, the reward. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A peace that passes all comprehension, a peace that you can't really get uh, uh, your mind around. It's such a big peace. It's so encompassing, so all-inclusive that you can't even describe it. That's the promise uh, that you get in this passage for praying about whatever would bother you. Now, there's a little bit of a condition attached between where most people are in their praying and what God is talking about. And so our idea of a prayer request or a prayer time is sitting in a restaurant and the waitress comes up and says, what can I get for you? And you say, I would like a T-bone steak done medium well and a green beans and mashed potatoes with brown gravy and a piece of toast and a cup of coffee. And about 10 minutes later, your order is on the table. So that's kind of what we're wired like in the sense of what exactly is prayer? It's a simple request made to God about what it is that you would like, what you want to have happen in your life, and once the request is made, either it shows up or it doesn't. And so the message in the Bible is repeatedly is that a key requirement on God's part in our praying is what the old saints used to call importunity. And that is God uh, wants us to want what we are asking for, and he, in a sense, measures that by the, uh, how much we ask. If we want it badly, a lot, we want it a lot, we'll ask and ask and ask. And he makes that point with several parables. And he said, if you 
knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, uh, you will receive it. But if it's a simple request that basically takes you a very little amount of time, there's no cost involved, there's no time involved, there's no passion involved, then the probability of you actually receiving what you're asking for is fairly small. But if you pay the price of time, then God will bless you. So people ask me, uh, how do you know how long to pray? Because I make a big, big deal out of this issue of time. I have for the last 30 years. And sometimes people will take issue with me. I say, do you think it will work if you pray for five seconds? Well, no. So then you agree with me. Time is an issue. The only problem you have is you don't like the amount of time I'm suggesting. You would like it to be, instead of five seconds, to be ten seconds. But time is an issue with God. And if we're willing to give Him some time, He is willing to give us blessings. And the blessings are going to be worth way more than a hundred bucks an hour in the sense of what they do for us personally. In, in, in your notes, the promises in the Bible of blessings given to uh, those who pray are incredibly motivational if we believe them to be true. So I've got a dozen that I read regularly, especially uh, like next week coming up. I'm gonna, there's 40 hours of prayer, 10 hours a day, 5 in the morning, 5 in the evening, and I will be at most of those hours. Now, I'm not there because I, I'm supposed to be. That's my job. I'm not there because I want to show off. I'm, I'm there because I believe uh, this information I'm going to give you tonight about what God does in my life and the life of others when I pray, and I'm willing to spend the time. So again, the question, how much... Uh, do I pray? And the answer is until I realize the reality of the promise. If he says, you have peace that passes all comprehension, is that true? Well, if I don't experience it, then it means that I didn't pray enough. If I pray until that's reality, then I know exactly how much I need to pray. I can't pray 24 hours a day. But there's obviously a point at which God says, uh, that works. And so I take him at his word when he says, I will experience a peace that passes all comprehension. So if I have any anxiety in my life, then the conclusion that I draw is I haven't prayed enough. If I don't have total peace, if I have any fretting, worrying, anxiety, uptightness, tension in my life, then I haven't prayed enough. And I pray until I experience the reality of that verse, a peace that passes all comprehension. So number one, I'm going to give you 12 blessings tonight you will have a peace that is incomprehensible. So I do uh, marriage counseling. I don't do a lot and out much more. I hand most of it off to Cliff and others, but I used to do probably uh, 10 hours uh, to 15 hours a week. And one of the things I discovered as I did marriage counseling is that there were lots of problems in communication. It wasn't the kind of communication where they were functioning as one person. And so a husband and wife living together who pass each other many times during the day, who say hi, close the refrigerator door, uh, when are you going to work, uh, what time are we eating dinner, that kind of communication as they pass through the course of the day is information giving but doesn't create any level of intimacy. And so in our relationship, mine and Patty, I discovered that unless we uh, spent some time 
focused just on talking, uh, we didn't uh, develop intimacy in the communication. And so we would do dates where all we did was talk for 30 minutes to an hour. That was what we did. And so we could talk in depth about what we were feeling, experiencing some things that were bothering us, etc. That kind of communication then developed relationships. Same thing's true with the average Christian. We pray what I call token prayers. We say grace at meals and we'll say a prayer here and a prayer there through the course of the day and think that that's going to do anything when in fact it does nothing. Uh, it's almost insulting to God for us to think that it does anything, uh, that kind of token, pra token praying. Uh, number two in your notes, you will have an amazing strength to manage pressure and endure. So if you take any of my leadership classes, one of the things that I say repeatedly in the class is stress is optional. I can live life totally stress-free, uh, not because of who I am, but because of what God will do in my life if I give Him some time in prayer. He will give me peace that passes all comprehension, and He will give me strength to manage life, manage pressure, manage stress, manage anything that comes into my life. He will give me that kind of strength. Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their, their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? That is, God doesn't really see what I'm doing. He's too busy. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait, wait. Now that word wait is a synonym in the Old Testament for pray. And so, interesting question. Why would that word be used as a synonym for pray, for prayer, because it describes what God wants from us in, way, in the way of prayer, and that is that we would be giving him some time. Wait. When Jesus was getting ready to go to heaven, he said to his disciples, go into the upper room and wait. And for 10 days they prayed almost nonstop. And on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit came and the church began. But you could say, well, Jesus said to go up there and wait. What are you doing praying? Well, they understood what he was saying, was to pray. It says, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So the basic principle is this. The more you pray, the more strength you will have. The more you pray, the more peace you will have. It's as simple as that. And so... The question isn't, how much should I pray? The question is, how much strength do I want? The question isn't, how much should I pray? The question is, how much peace do I need? Because God is a cause and effect. All of life illustrates spiritual truth. And if you raise a garden, one of the things that you discover is that raising a garden is cause and effect. Certain plants need a certain amount of water. When you water them the way they need, they grow. They need a certain amount of food. If they have that food, they grow. If they don't, they don't grow. 
And anybody who's any good at gardening discovers those principles, what works, what doesn't work. They follow the principles and they grow a successful garden. So life is like that in every area of life, in our marriage, raising our kids, managing our money, managing our own health at our job. There's things that produce results and there are things that produce negative results. We discover what those things are. We govern our life according to those principles and things go well. The spiritual realm is the same way. God has made this principle. He said, if you sow one seed, you get one plant. You sow two seeds, you get two plants. You plant a bean seed, you get a bean plant. You plant a corn seed, you get a corn plant. That's a rule of God, and he says that's true in the spiritual realm. In 2 Corinthians 9, whatever you sow is what you reap. How much you sow is how much you reap. Now, with gardens, it's easy to see the results of that. I mean, almost anybody knows that what I just said is true. That's not a faith statement. But if I say you pray for five minutes, you're going to get this amount of peace. If you pray for ten minutes, you're going to get this amount of peace. And you begin to discover what that is. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 14:11, Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So Asa had uh, risked uh, his army, his people, as he went to war. Oh, Lord, we're trusting in you that you're going to take care of this for us. And so he prayed, and God did. Psalms 31.1, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. You are my rock, my fortress, for your name's sake. You will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me. You are my strength. You are my strength. So you, right now, manage life to a level. You deal with pressure as it comes into your life, whether it's the COVID thing or something else. And you get to a point where you become unable, uh, incapable of managing the pressure. You fret, you worry. So at that point, uh, you've moved outside what you've paid, as it were, in a prayer price. So what you sow is what you reap. How much you sow is how much you reap. And we choose how much time we give to God. If we give Him a little, we receive a little. If we give Him a lot, we get a lot. And it's fairly easy if we connect the dot. I'm stressed out. How can I solve the problem? The Bible's fairly simple in that. You pray. You pray more than a token praying uh, that is more than a simple one-time prayer, Lord, please help. You give him some time. He wants my time. He wants your time. And the more we give him, the more he blesses us. Number three, you will grow in your awareness of God's presence. I can't see God physically. I can't smell God. I can't touch God. I can't hear him in an audible voice. But I have the capacity, because I am a spiritual being on the inside, of being able to sense his presence if he makes his presence known. 
So the Bible talks about God manifesting His presence. That is, old church fathers used to call that God making Himself thick. He would uh, make Himself, uh, His Spirit, in such a way that we would sense His presence. Now, the average individual never does because God, as Pastor Ben says regularly leading worship, God waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted, and if we don't really want His fellowship, His presence, and aren't willing to pay the price to get it, then He does what the Bible says, hides His face from us. Hides His face from us. But He will indeed manifest His presence to those who seek Him, those who draw near to Him, those who give Him time in prayer. Psalms 27, 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. When you, when you said, seek my face, that's what God said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not return your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Psalm 1611, in your presence, when we can sense his presence, uh, there will be fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Psalm 73, 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. So if you pray a little bit, you will experience a small sense of God's pleasure. If you give him more time in prayer, you will experience a greater and greater sense of His presence. And along with that sense of His presence will come great joy in your presence is fullness of joy. Fourth blessing, you will know God's perfect will for your life. I've told you this story before, but it's one that is real to me, so I'll tell it to you again, and it's a good one. I was struggling way back in 1975 whether God wanted me to be a pastor or a farmer. And I knew what I wanted at the point I wanted to be a dairy farmer. That was the joy of my life. That's what I dreamed of doing. But I just had this sense that God wanted me to be a pastor. And so I was struggling back and forth, back and forth, back, but I was almost over a year that I just it was driving me crazy. And so there was a missionary home in furlough that our church supported, who I thoroughly enjoyed his preaching. And he was home, and I made an appointment to talk to him about this dilemma because I figured he was a missionary, and somehow in the past he must have faced that same thing. And so we went to lunch, and I asked him, uh, I told him that where I was at and what I was struggling with, and I said, so how do I know? I mean, I don't want to do either one if I don't know without a doubt that this is exactly what God wants me to do, but I can't seem to figure that out. And he gave me this line. He said, get close to God and do what you want. And I remember when he said it, I thought, well, that can't be right. I want to do what God wants. And I said that. I said, well, I should want to do what God wants. He said, get close to God, do what you want. Because if you get close to God, what you want is what he wants because he will put his will in you. And you will not think it, you'll feel it. 
it will be in you as a desire. But getting close to God is required. And if you want to get close to Him as badly as you want to know what His will is for your life right now, then you'll know what it is. And so I asked the million-dollar question, how do I do that? He said, spend time reading the Word and spend time in prayer. And don't expect that a five-minute prayer a couple times a day is what I'm talking about. So if you're not sure, absolutely sure, what the will of God is in your life, then you haven't spent enough time with Him. Because when you do, you will know. Because He wants you to know what His will is for your life more than you want to know it. But He's not going to give it to you for free. He's not going to give it to you simply because you're curious. Because you believe that that's the way to success is staying in His will. He wants you to pay the price, as it were, uh, to know what His will is. Psalms 25, 4, make me know your ways, O Lord. Make me know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait, I wait, I wait. There's that word again, I wait. I give you time. Psalms 5, 8, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. Make your way, your will, your plan for my life straight before me. I can't miss it. Psalms 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Number five, you all have a growing victory over sin. So the more we spend time with God, the more strength we have uh, over sin in our life. Our flesh has uh, got a virus, like the COVID virus, as it were. When you get it, it controls you. That virus is a sin virus. We were born with it. And we're always in the process of controlling it, keeping it under control so it doesn't control our life. And besides that virus, we have the devil who wants to totally destroy our life. And then we have this world system we live in. Its values are totally contrary to the values of God. The probability of anybody living a righteous, holy life is fairly small, and they can't do it. They don't have a chance without some strength from God to be able to pull it off. God making them, helping them, guiding them in the area of righteousness and holiness. And He does that for those who give Him time. Matthew 6, 13, Do not lead me into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. It's a key part of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Number six, you'll bear much fruit. The other day I was with a, an adult in our church, and he said, you know, I really want to do something with my life. I've mown, mowed my lawn, I've fed my dog, I've gone to work, I've paid my bills, I've painted my house. None of those things really matter. I want to do something that matters. And then I know in my heart that it matters, that makes a difference. So the Bible calls that bearing fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. If you bear a little bit of fruit, the Father will prune you so you bear more fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. So when he says, abide in me and I in you, 
and you will bear much fruit. What does he mean, abide in me? It's a simple matter of giving God time. If you abide in me, he goes on and says, if you abide in me, you can ask whatever you wish and the Father will give it to you. If I abide in you and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done to you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So it's that abiding, that time, that waiting uh, on God that allows Him to work in our life so that we can do something with our life that matters. I quoted all those verses. I think I'll read them to you. You can see them on the screen. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Bear fruit, that's eternal results, works that matter, that mean something. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, that means you read the Bible for more than a couple minutes a day. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So when you read through that, ask yourself the question, does that sound like a little bit of time, token time, or does it sound like some time that matters that's going to cost me something? Seventh blessing, your relationships will become increasingly more healthy. So surveys are done all the time, especially when... Uh, Elections are on the horizon, but uh, one of the uh, surveys that's done periodically is uh, walk down the street or in a mall asking people this question, what do you want more than anything else in life? What do you want? What do you really want more than anything? And the question that's given, the answer that's given back 90 plus percent of the time, I just want to be happy. It's all I want to be happy. So the follow-up question is obvious. What would it take? What would it take to make you happy? Every time the answer is given, it's always out there. It's out there. That is, circumstances uh, in my life. Uh, things most often they can't control, therefore they are a victim. We live in a whole culture today. Everybody's a victim because they're not happy and it's somebody else's fault. And so the question is, is, is that a great way to live, to be a victim? The answer is, we don't have to be, because God has said, I am the one that gives joy. In my presence is fullness of joy. Joy doesn't come from money, it doesn't come from uh, jobs, it doesn't come from possessions. But one of the ways that God will give us joy is through healthy relationships. He's made that statement in His Word regularly. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll create a helper suitable for him. And so relationships struggle, and when relationships struggle, whether it's a child, a parent, a spouse, a boss, a neighbor, when we're struggling in a relationship with somebody in our life, the result is a huge outbreak of tension and anxiety. And relationships can be incredibly healthy, but rarely will be without God's help, without God's help. Philippians 1.9, this I pray, 
This is what I pray, that your love may abound more and more. Your love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord cause, the Lord cause, He's the one who makes it happen. May He cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. May God cause that to happen. That's a prayer. And then Proverbs 16.7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, He, God, makes even His enemies to be at peace with Him. The question is, can God do that? Sure He can. There's a requirement, though. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, what does it take? Do you have to live a perfect, sinless life for that to be true? Do you know that the, 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 really the only thing that God requires for us to please Him is that we would honor Him with our time? that we would honor Him with our time. When we ignore Him and give Him leftover, convenient, comfortable time that costs us nothing, then we're in the realm of those that are not pleasing Him. But when we give time to God, then we become those who please Him. When our ways please Him, He makes even our enemies to be at peace with us. An eighth blessing, you will experience victory over the devil and his kingdom of evil. So he's been defeated. Uh, he's a bull with a ring in his nose. I worked on a dairy when I was going to college, and they had a big old mean bull. He had a ring in his nose, and he had about three foot of chain on the ring. And uh, there was uh, poles sitting all over wherever you're working with a hook in the end. And if you got over where he was and looking kind of mean, you just grabbed the pole and reached out there and hooked the chain. He became an instant lamb. He would do whatever you wanted him to do. So the devil, that's what he is. He's been defeated by Christ uh, by his death resurrection from the cross. Any legal jurisdiction he had over our life has been broken. But most people are controlled by him because they don't experience God's blessing or power. Psalms chapter 3 Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Just imagine the demons around you going from 1 to 20. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. God can't help him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. He answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke. The Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You've shattered the teeth of the wicked. Um, I went through the Psalms are a prophecy of the very prayers of Jesus. There's some that are obvious because you can see the direct correlation in the Gospels, but most of them are not as obvious. But I took the Lord's Prayer and divided it into seven parts. When they said, teach us to pray, this is what he told them to pray. So I assumed that Jesus prayed that very thing. And then I read through the Psalms with the color crayons, one color crayon color for each of the seven parts of the Lord's Prayer. And I just read through Psalms. I would highlight it in that color corresponding to that part of the Lord's Prayer. So the part of the Lord's Prayer that says, deliver us from evil or the evil one was a red crayon. Fairly easy to understand why. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a Halloween costume of a devil, it's usually red. So I had a red crayon, and every place in the Psalms that I read a passage like this that had to do with our enemies, I highlighted it in red. And when I got done, I had blue and yellow and green and red 
different sections that corresponded to different aspects of the Lord's Prayer. And it was fun to go through and read the Psalms just one color at a time. And it's amazing how many red sections there are in Psalms. Prayers that have to do with my enemies. Now, my enemies are primarily demons and the devil in my life. They're not real people. But the more I pray, the less he controls my life. The more I pray, the more I can control him and his control over your life, over the life of our, the geographical area in which our church is in, the life of those around us that aren't walking with Christ, that are controlled by the evil one. Number nine, you have a growing sense of self-worth and confidence. <clears throat> God gave us glory. It says he gave us glory and majesty when he created us. And we lost it the first time we sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory which God has given us. And so we have this craving in us for worth and value, for glory. But the problem is what we do to fill that vacuum won't work. God is the one who gives glory, and He's the one who takes it away. And it's interesting. If we give Him time, God gives us glory. If we give Him time, He gives us glory. Psalms 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you. He will exalt you. Psalms 31, 17, let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. That's the second most often prayed prayer in the Bible. The most often prayed prayer in the Bible is the prayer for strength. The second most prayed prayer in the Bible is that we would not be put to shame. And so we, you hear the phrase, men fear failure. They don't fear failure. They fear the shame that failure brings. We avoid things that make us look small or weak, uh, or we avoid people that make us feel small or weak. We hate shame. We were created for glory. But the fact is God gives glory. His glory is real. It's lasting. You can't take it away. And he gives it to those who give him time. Number 10, you will be one of God's favorites. I have a T-shirt. Somebody in the church gave it to me. It says, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. And I have a little plaque from my desk that says the same thing. Uh, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. Sometimes people say, well, God doesn't have favorites. Well, sure he does. When the angel came to Mary, he said, Mary, highly favored one. You know what that meant? You're God's favorite. Why would God have a woman be the mother of his son who wasn't his favorite? Moses was called God's favorite. Abraham was called God's friend. There were those that God was especially close to, and he declared them to be his favorites. That's not a random choice. That's not a random choice. When we honor him, he honors us. When we draw near to him, he draws near to us. When we seek him, we will find him. It's as simple as that. It's his cause and effect. <clears throat> Psalms 147.11, the Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait on Him. He favors those who wait, give Him time. Number 11, and you note, you will grow in your ability to recognize God's voice in your thoughts. 
So God speaks to me, He speaks to you. The problem is we very rarely recognize His voice because it gets lost. The thoughts that pop into our mind at a very, very rapid pace have four sources. One source is our own flesh, our own body. We unique beings. We have uh, thoughts that are our thoughts. They come right from us. We're creative beings. We can have original thoughts. And then there's thoughts that come from the world. You hear things over and over through your ear, see things through your eye, and they pop into your head. The, the, the law of advertising is anybody believes anything if they hear it often enough because <clears throat> it controls their thinking. And as a man thinketh, so he is. So your thoughts come from your own self, your being, and they come from the world. They come from the devil. He tempts us by talking to us. He talked to Jesus. And so we've got these little demons that follow us everywhere they go, we go, and they talk to us, and we hear them in our thoughts. And then God speaks to us. And so we've got these thoughts popping into our head all day long, and one of the sources is from the Lord, but we don't usually recognize His voice because we don't spend enough time with Him to recognize His voice. Now, the very, very best experience to grow in your skill of identifying the voice of God amongst all the others is spending time in prayer with your church family. Corporate prayer is the most powerful experience there is for growing in your skill of recognizing His voice because when God speaks to a group about what He wants to do, it's like He's saying, pray this and I will do it. Pray this, this is what I want to do. And so when He speaks to the group, multiple people in the room that are paying attention will have that thought pop into their head. And so if you're listening to what's going on in your head and you're listening to what's going on in the room, you will periodically hear somebody pray something that you thought. And at that point, it's like, ah, that's the voice from God. It's been authenticated by two people and often three. And as that happens repeatedly, as you pray corporately with other believers, you, become, you be, uh, begin to become skilled at identifying that prompting from God. And when you get good at that, you have a huge advantage in life because God is leading you, speaking to you, prompting you. But the average individual has never come close to being able to pick his voice out of the, the, cl the clutter of noise that's going on in their head. And number 12, blessing, you will do very well at the judgment seat of Christ, the rewards that we will receive there. Each of us will stand before Christ and give an account of our life and be rewarded, recompensed for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Those rewards are significant and they last for all eternity. And what we do for Him in this life, 1 Corinthians 3 says that our works will be tested by fire on that day that we stand before Christ. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work uh, endures through the fire, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so is through fire, smelling like smoke. And so when I stand before Jesus, I want a whole boxcar full of rewards. They don't have anything to do with you. They have everything to do with my relationship with Him forever. And in this life, I earn those rewards. And it's interesting, when I give Him time, then He will bless my life with fruit, and I 
bear fruit. I do things for him that I get rewarded for, but it's really him doing it in me. The price that I pay is time. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first him. I have a priority in our life of giving him time. The biggest enemy we have in our life is the things that we do, the things we own. Everything we own owns us. And so we use our time up. We give a little bit to God. We use up our energy. We give a little bit to God. And we struggle in our life, not because we're dumb, not because we're uneducated, not because we're bad, simply because we don't have the blessing of God in our life. Because when you sow a little bit, you reap a little bit. When you give God a little bit of time, you're going to get a little bit of peace. You're going to get a little bit of strength. You're going to give a, get a little bit of guidance. You're going to bear a little bit of fruit. And that's not going to end up producing much. But when you give God some time that matters, that costs you something, the result is you sow a little, you reap a little, you sow a lot, you reap a lot. So it's a total choice that you make. Now, just coincidental. I happened to preach this right before the five days of prayer. You've got the perfect opportunity to ramp up the time you give to God this next week. Now, the cool thing about a prayer event like next week is it's structured. So you don't have to do much in the way of thinking, how are you going to do this? How are you going to pull it off? When are you going to pray? How are you going to pray? Where are you going to pray? What's, I mean, the mechanics of prayer often just people struggle with. Well, there's no problem. It's going to be in the chapel. It's going to start at 5 in the morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We will go 45 minutes, take a 15-minute break. We'll do that for five hours till 10 o'clock. Then we'll call it good for the day. We'll start again 5 in the evening, go 5 till 10 in the evening. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, next week, December 7th to the 11th. And we will be doing it on Zoom as well. So if you want to stay at home, uh, we will have a camera in there, so when you get on the Zoom thing on your computer, you can see the people in the prayer room. Your face will be on the screen. You can pray. Everybody in the room hears you. We pray. You hear us, and we're praying like a group. So you don't even have to pay the price of getting out of your bed. You can lay there, prop up your pillows, and get your computer out, your cell phone out, and pray right there. So you only have to pay a little price. Or you can come down here. So why wouldn't a person participate? I mean, why would they give an hour for the five days and call that good? Why, why, why? Because they don't really believe it's going to produce any of those 12, any of those dozen blessings in their life. They don't really believe that that's true. Why? Because they've never experienced it. And so you have to start like the first time you plant corn. You've never done it before, but somebody told you that in six months you'll get some corn on the cob. And so you plant the seed and you water the seed by faith that it's going to happen. Now once you get it, the next time it's so much easier. So I have a huge advantage over many of you in that we've done these prayer times four times a year for 30 years. And I've been involved in every one of them. And in most of them, I pray 30-plus hours. So I've experienced what I've just shared with you tonight. I know that it works. And uh, so it's, for me, not a price. 
the blessing is so much greater than any sacrifice I would make. It's not a price. But for many who faith is low, it requires a lot of sacrifice because you think this is worth more than praying, and so you make the cut, as it were, so you're doing something by faith, but that pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So you could believe me when I say I'll give you $100 for every hour of your prayer. And you would be a sucker because I don't have that. But you can believe me when I say these 12 blessings in reality will be yours. And the more you pray, the more they will be yours. So you can choose to give one hour in the five days if that's all you want in the way of blessing. But anybody can do anything for five days. You can watch less television. You can sleep less. You can eat less. You can do everything that you do in a week less than normal just for five days, just for five days, and give God an extraordinary amount of time just for five days and experience the blessing of sacrificial prayer, of corporate prayer, and then see what it does to your faith level. Next time around, it'll be that much easier, that much easier, because then you'll be somebody that's got faith. And uh, with faith as size of a mustard seed, you can do anything. Nothing is impossible to you. But it takes a bit of work to get it up to the mustard seed side. And so next week, great opportunity. Planned it just for you, just so you could be blessed this next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the the gift of prayer, the power of prayer. You are God incomprehensibly strong and mighty and wise. You love to give to us your strength and your wisdom and your peace, but Lord, there's a price tag attached. Your blessings are not unconditional. Your salvation is. But as we live this life, you'll give peace to those who pay the price that you've set for the strength that passes all comprehension, Lord, the, the peace, the joy, the wisdom, all of those things you give, but you give to those who seek you, who honor you, who draw near to you, who give you time. I pray that we would recognize that you are a jealous God, and we have so many other gods before us, so many other things that we depend on for our security and our joy besides you. I pray that we would learn to set those aside and give you what you deserve as our God and experience your blessing as a result. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.